This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Episode 302, M. Night Shyamalan, Superhero Retrospective, Unbreakable, and Split. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend, Bummer. Superman. Wonder Woman. Heroes. Villains. Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did so wise you are. was that he created something. So we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Strangers and Aliens, a podcast about sci-fi, fantasy, and uh, how those things can kind of open doors to discuss things about reality, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> Christianity and, and spirituality. So um, I'm here. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, one of the, the hosts of Strangers and Aliens. And for this episode, I'm here with Steve. Steve, Steve McDonald. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? All right. It's been a while since it's just been the two of us. I know. It's sort of like, didn't we used to secret show that was just the two of us? Yeah, that's how we started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're here to talk about M. Night Shyamalan and his superhero trilogy cinematic universe. Sort of. Yeah. So no question marks on that. Well, you know, it's interesting because of what he's doing. You know, he, he did Unbreakable in 2000. And... And then in 2017, he did a movie called Split, which mm -hmm. ended up being kind of a, a secret sequel. And then yeah. um, and now there's a movie coming out in just a few days or a few weeks here, uh, Glass, which is a sequel to both of them, both Split right. and, and Unbreakable. And and so the way we're going to talk about it on this podcast here is this episode is about Split and Unbreakable. And mm -hmm. then um, after seeing the movie Glass, we're going to do an episode about Glass. And uh, we'll see. Um, I, I've seen some reviews. I'm not going to say what the reviews actually are saying. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if it deserves a, an episode <laughs> or, or not. <laughs> so, so we may not do an episode. Oh, we will. I mean, we've invested. <laughs> so okay. I've invested in this by, you know, uh, with time and money and You've invested with at least time, although you probably paid for your ticket to see Unbreakable. Did you see that in the theater? I'm trying to think. You know what? I don't think I did. I think I got the – like. The, remember when Netflix used to be like you would send away and then they would send like actual discs? I do remember that. I never did do it, you, but I remember it. Do you? I yeah. don't know if our, our, our listeners know that that's how it used to be, that you would get actual discs through the mail. Like you had to wait. And you could only get, what, like three at a time. It was like weird. I mean, it's nothing like, like it is now. But anyway, 
Um, and I think I got it through the man. This is this is kind of funky because. Well, uh, do we want to talk about it and then I can talk about the story because it sort of plays off of something that we might hit naturally while we're talking about the movies. And then it would be, I think, better if, if we did that instead of jumping in it backwards. OK, yeah, let's let's wait then, because with this, okay. um, what's nice about this episode is it's not quite as much of a um, uh, a gamble let's say, because we have a whole career to talk about <laughs> with his movies and, and specifically these two movies that, that he did. But I'm sure we're going to, in fact, right now, probably just going to jump in and talk a little bit about just what his career has been like and, and what has led up to this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's the episode about glass. It is a little more of a gamble and it may, <laughs> it may be one of the shortest episodes ever. I mean, we've, uh, I've done one or two very, very short review episodes where it was just me and just saying this was terrible. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was a little bit more than that. But I remember, um, oh, it was one thumbs of those up, thumbs down. One of those Vin Diesel uh, pitch black sequel movies that they did. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. The Riddick movies. Um, yep. It was the, the third one. The, and I hated that movie. It was uh, it was an insult. <laughs> that movie was an insult. And, and so my review was very quick. It was, I think that episode ended up being a 10 minute episode where I was just like, (laughs) do not see this movie. It is an insult to, um, insult to women an insult to, I guess men too. Um, but it's, it's just, it was intentionally misogynistic and, and also not great. I, I, so maybe glass will be that (laughs) who knows we'll see we'll see what we should do is like get a whole bunch of stuff that we have that same reaction to and then just do like one episode where we can blast through like 50 things and just be like what'd you think oh hated it next what'd you think oh disgusting what do you think oh worst ever movie and just you know just blast through like a whole bunch yeah uh we we could do that we probably won't but we could (laughs) uh i guess the the other side of that would be the the predator episode that i did that never will be released because it right. was, like that movie was just so bad to me that yep. trying to talk about it i i just talking alone i i just it was not a good it was just not good and so that that's negative time right there um <laughs> that episode so but here so no, many <laughs> so many so many like ways that you couldn't say what you really felt about it yeah exactly exactly cuz it just I just couldn't I couldn't come up with anything. I think I said this already the that I did real world theology episode about that and um <laughs> had a lot more to talk about than than I did when I was talking to myself but yeah. Uh so we're here to talk about M Night Shyamalan though and did yeah. you see signs in theaters? I think I saw signs, yeah. How about yeah, I remember- Sixth Sense? Uh <laughs> Okay. It happened 20 years ago, so I can possibly I, – I won't ruin it, just in no, case don't, someone hasn't don't. seen it. Yeah, that... But I I was about to see it, and it had been in theaters, you know, okay. I remember for, this like, story. <laughs> yeah, for, for like a, a couple of weeks. <laughs> and uh, there was this very sweet w- woman that I used to, you know, work in the same section with. And um, – and you know, it's like people were like, "Oh, don't tell people, you know, what what it's what the thing is. Don't tell the the whole thing." And and I was like, you know, I'm gonna go see that movie tonight. And she just like blurted it out, <laughs> as if like everyone knew. And I was like, 
what? And she's like, oh, you didn't know? It was so obvious from all the trailers and everything. And I'm just like, wait, why? Mm. <laughs> and it was just like, bleh. And I was, and so when I went to see it, it, it actually saved me a repeat viewing because, you know, sometimes you see a movie like, you know, Arrival is another one of these movies where you watch it. And as soon as you hit the ending, you're like, oh, I got to watch this again. And, you know, it's, it's with, like with you, the new information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it now will make sense, you know, and we're before 99% of it didn't. So, and it, it was, <laughs> it reminds me of, um, the that new star wars movie where han solo dies before we had seen the movie um i was talking with my wife and i was like you know oh and you know oh some guys talked about uh, you know the best part of the movie was when han solo dies and this is before we had seen the movie before we had heard anything about it i was just like making fun just having fun with the movie and then as soon as i told the joke she was like oh ha ha very funny and then i said to myself wait a minute what if what if han actually does die and I had no idea where I got it from. I don't know if, you know, it was just something that I picked up from other stuff that I had seen or whatever, but like no one knew people were talking about it. And then we we went to see the movie and it was like leading up to it. And I'm like, Oh man, (laughs) Hansel is going to die. And my joke is going to be the thing that ruined the movie for my wife. And (laughs) Hansel dies. So Anyway, well, I, I did – this didn't happen to me, but I heard of uh, – I can't remember which friend of, of mine it was. They were waiting to get in the theater. The crowd was coming out of the theater from the showing and walking past the people waiting to go in. And a guy yells out, Han Solo got get killed. And it's just <laughs> like – Thanks, jerk. Yeah, seriously. Like there's – it's a special kind of jerk, you know, because it's not life-threatening. And and honestly, right. you know, it's not the kind of thing where, yeah, it's going to cause you to have a complex the rest of your life because this person, <laughs> you know, mercilessly mocked you for something, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for years. No, but it's it's just I call it random acts of meanness. Um, <laughs> and and I I created that that phrase. I, I mean, I'm sure someone else has created it, too. But the reason I started using that phrase was because there was this guy that I was um I was working at the college. I, I was out of college, but I was working at the college. And there was a kid that that I was the resident director for, and he would just do these what I you know random acts of meanness. And one of them was I got so mad at him when he did this. He would go into the ice cream cooler where the ice cream bars were in the college um, common area, uh, the 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 cafeteria, and he would get ice cream bars, take them to the table, punch them. And then return them into the thing. Why? Exactly. You know, why? Well, it was just random acts of meanness. I got so uh, mad at him. And I, I I called him out. I was like, why are you doing this? You are. That's just ridiculous. I, I said, a prank is funny because you're doing it to someone that you know, and they're they might get upset, but it's a joke. You know, it, right, it's, right. it's a joke. It, and you're doing it hopefully to someone, you know, not out of meanness, but out of, you know, Hey, let's get a laugh here, you know, and and maybe it ends up being mean or whatever, but I'm just like, you are doing this to people. And not only that you are doing this and then just walking away. Right. And you're, you don't even see the joke happen. You know, like like, why are, why are you doing this? And, and and maybe he's a sociopath or something. I don't know, but um, (laughs) it is sociopathic, but yeah, so it it was just random acts of meanness. Um, so anyway, 
uh, M night Shyamalan comes on the scene with the sixth sense and it has the big, huge twist that had everyone talking that saw the movie. And that's what he gets known for. Like even now they talk about, you know, what's the, the big twist in this movie going to be. Right. Um, right. even though I did just read an interview with him where he said he doesn't write to the twist. He's writing a thriller, and so he's hoping that there's going to be a revealed mystery at the end, and he wants mm-hmm. the audience to have the revelation happen with the characters. Right. But he's not trying to come up with a twist. It's not like he's sitting down and and figuring out the twist and then writing, you know, because, oh, I, I got I to gotta get that twist in. It's just he wants people to be, you know, surprised with the characters. Right. As, as information it- gets revealed to the characters. Yeah, and it's probably as much of a thrill for him when he gets the the, the twist to do, you know, when you know, as as much as it is for us to to go through it, you know, watching it. Yeah, and so uh, Unbreakable was his second movie. Yep, and it was also, you know, I I don't know I don't remember the reviews back then, but when I saw it, I really liked it. Um, and then he had a couple more like signs was another big one for him. Yeah. Um, and then he started doing uh, movies like the village, which mm-hmm. people that, that one I remember not liking as much. And I remember other people not liking as much yeah. um, lady in the that. water. I did not see and still haven't seen. Um, I do want to just because you know, I've seen almost every other one of his movies. Why, why not? <laughs> and, uh, and then the happening, which I have seen just recently, um, which is just not the greatest movie. Um, what about uh, what is it, Devil in an Elevator or something like that? He was producer on that one. I don't think he directed that. Okay. Um, he he was he started it too, right? He was one of the uh, people in the elevator. I don't know. Yeah, I think he was. I, I don't know. He puts himself in every one of his movies though, like a like Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, yep. Actually, a little little less like Hitchcock because he is. Um, he has speaking parts in his movies and Hitchcock would just walk through sometimes. Yeah. So. Or do something funny yeah. or appear as an ad. <laughs> did, you, did you hear about that one? No. In life in lifeboat. You know, how is he going to make an appearance in lifeboat? And in one point someone holds up a newspaper and it has like a before and after weight loss thing. Ah. And he's the before. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That is a really good one. Um, and then you start getting movies where it's not his original idea, like After Earth, which mm-hmm. was developed by um, Will, Will Smith, Smith. Yeah. Um, The Last Airbender, yeah, which was sure. based on a, a cartoon, right? Um, and, and so you had that, and and it's just you, you, they were talking about as the star is falling, you know, like he he comes out of the gate with these great movies that everyone likes because there's this huge twist and then you go back and rewatch it because now you understand what was going on and and then you have just people aren't watching the happening they're actually actively making fun of the happening um you know right. after earth wasn't the best it wasn't horrible it was a decent sci-fi but it wasn't the greatest movie um avatar the last airbender i have not seen but anyone who actually likes the cartoon avatar that I've talked to hates the movie. (laughs) Um, Really? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, he started back in and he, he comes back with, uh, what was it called? The visit? I think. I think so. I think that's what it's called. Um, which is a movie he made for $5 million of his own money. 
Yeah. Uh, and then sold it to a distributor. I think it was Bloomhouse who distributed it and it made lots of money back. And so then he was able to make split and, and the, it's, it's like, Oh, he's back on the rise. He's, he's had these low budget, high profit movies and yep. who knows what's going to happen with glass. But yeah, so that's, that's an interesting career trajectory that he's taking. Um, mm-hmm. That interview that I read with him was really almost inspiring in a lot of ways <laughs> because he was talking about like at this point in his life, he's learned that he has two columns of things in his life and column a is things he has control over and column B is things he does not have control over. And, and so things like making a hit movie that everyone loves is actually in column B. B, You know, he can't control that. And, and so he just has the things he can control. And so that's why he did like uh, the visit with his own money. You know, I'm Mm going to, I'm going to make a movie I want to make. Um, that's column A. Yeah. And now the movie he made uh, with with The Visit, I liked it, but it's the only movie I've ever seen where the climax involves uh, adult diapers full of poop. Uh, so I just uh, – there's some, there's some grossness in that movie. <laughs> yeah, sometimes a twist, it's like – it's almost better that the twist isn't there. You know, there's there's been movies where I've enjoyed, you know, like 80 percent of them. And then it's like, why did you put that in? You know, <laughs> just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So then, yes, Split. And we'll we'll talk specifically about Split and just what, mm-hmm. what that movie had in it. But um, yep. but Unbreakable is an interesting movie because it comes out before uh, the superhero renaissance. Mm-hmm. Well, it like I mean Spider Man, X Men had been out Blade, but that's you know, that's not that's, the Renaissance. That's the beginning yeah. of it. And this, you know, as far as timing goes, he was not reacting to those movies. Right. He right. had made his movie, and or was in the process of making it while those other ones came out. Um, yeah. Now was Spider Man two thousand? I'm not sure the actual time. Let's find out. Frame. I, I think X Men had been out when when Unbreakable came out. Spider Man two thousand two. Really? Yeah. I thought it was earlier than that. I could be wrong. I guess. Oh no! Do you remember because the um they had the the ad. This is before the movie came out with 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 the um the towers, towers. in it. Yeah. Yeah. X Men was two thousand though. Yep. And and Blade was before that. Right. Unbreakable comes and it's before the MCU. It's before the Batman trilogy. It's it's coming in and making this statement about superheroes and comic books. It's almost like the thesis statement before we get into the the, the real thing. You know, he he comes along, does this movie, and then right after that, X Men, X Two, Spider Man, Spider Man Two. We have all the these right again. Like I said, the the Renaissance, Batman Begins is. Is coming, you know, and, and all these things are building up to what we have now with Avengers, you know, and mm-hmm. and Aquaman and that kind of thing. So I do wonder what Unbreakable would have been like if if he had waited and and done the movie, you know, after Spider Man Two or something right. like that, mm-hmm. or even you know, right before Avengers or after Avengers, even the first Avengers movie, like a huge. I mean, people might have had a big push. 
It's like M. Night Shyamalan is coming up with superheroes. You know, we'll put a hundred million into that, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. But it's after, I mean, right now it's, it's this guy that just did one movie, you know, and, and, you know, I see dead people and it's like, okay, well, it's sort of moody. Is a superhero going to be moody? Because, you know. <laughs> but it's an interesting, so it's, it is a slow movie, but it's not mm-hmm. boring. It's deliberate. You know, like it's, right. it takes its time on purpose yep. and that's just his yep. style. You know, I mean, he, he takes his time with long lingering camera shots and, and lets the actors do their thing in front of the camera. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's effective and sometimes it feels indulgent or self-indulgent, but <laughs> no matter what, he definitely has a voice. He has a specific way of doing things. It's his way of doing things. And, and I'd like to see Avatar The Last Airbender just to see, did he do that? In, in that, you know, did because I can't imagine him making a um, a franchise blockbuster movie with a huge budget, you know, doing the doing these long lingering right. pans, you know, across yeah, something something for kids, you know, big, yeah, you know, fighty thing, and and it's going to be you know watching a tear go down someone's face for fourteen seconds or something. <laughs> Right, it would be kind I, of interesting to watch. It, I don't think he did that though, because no, my no. impression is people who are fans of Avatar did not like the movie, but people who are fans of Shyamalan did not like the movie. That's that's the impression I get. I I'm not looking at the Rotten Tomatoes aggregate, but right. Yeah. So Unbreakable. It's about superheroes. It's trying to make statements. You know, it's trying to say something about superheroes, um, and it's this really slow, quiet origin story of Bruce Willis's character, David Dunn, who finds out he's a superhero. (laughs) And and the scene when he finds out like he's really, really strong, um, that scene right there in another movie, he'd be jumping off the roof, you know, and and you'd have this really exciting music and he'd, you know, be building up, you know, and, uh, maybe building up to a joke or or what, but no. Instead, it's um, he's just in his basement, and his son is putting weights on the weights, and he's you know the the barbells, and he's lifting it up, and it's really heavy. Yep. <laughs> the one thing I never understood about that scene is he tells his son to back away. Like well, this, there's there's gonna be an explosion. What's gonna happen if he can't lift this up? You know, like <laughs> it's it's gonna fall down on him, and maybe you know that'd be bad and yucky because of the weight or whatever. But um, the weights might fall know. off and roll. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I got I got the sense that he he thought that perhaps the strength would come as a blast, like as you know, like oh, he would just, okay. And if he wasn't holding on to the thing. You know, it it might fly off and and, okay. and hit his son or something. So uh, I, that's what I thought. Okay, you you've rescued that scene for me then. <laughs> and did you did you see the 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 deleted scene? I where, have, but I did not uh, recently. A okay. long time ago, when the DVD first you, came out. Do you remember it? No. He he he's he's a um a security guard for a a, a stadium that has it's during football season. And um, 
he it, it shows the the locker room and there's nothing graphic it's just a bunch of guys talking and you know getting rubbed down and stuff and then uh like some guys move aside because they're walking and stuff in the background it's kind of an interesting way that he just appears in the very background as in the doorway and no one's paying attention to him and um so he walks over and this is something that obviously it's it was probably cut because it was like why would you do this so he walks over to the the weights and like the weights are jacked like every single weight is on there or something so i didn't even know how much it's going to be and he sits there and he he pumps it like a couple of times puts it back on the rack and sits up and like the entire room that you 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 sort of lose the perspective that they're there because of the way it's shot it's it's shot very well and let the sound goes away and you lose the sense that they're there but when he sits back up they're all completely silent and they're looking at him having just seen him do you know probably twice as much as anyone in the room could have done but what you described that's what i think of when i think of m night Shyamalan, is yeah. creative cinematography Mm-hmm. And so even if it's not the greatest story, uh, like The Village, you know, um, or even The Happening, you know, <laughs> but in The Happening, there is creative cinematography happening in it. And there is, you know, even After Earth had some of it. After Earth, I felt like didn't have as much of the, his own fingerprints in it. And I feel like when he's doing um, the workman kind of thing where he's he's just doing the job because it's the job. Um, right. I, I feel like that that's you, you lose a little bit of his his influence, his voice. Um, but the, that kind of thing you're describing where, you know, inventive way the movies or the, the cameras moving through and then, um, you know, use the use of sound and then the use of, um, you know, reveal, you know, where you reveal the scene and, and how people are reacting to him within the scene. That that sounds like the kind of thing I associate with, with M night Shyamalan. Right. And why I really like him, even when I don't like his movies, um, <laughs> like, like it's happening. I, I did not like that one very much. Um, but there's good stuff in it. Yeah. You can appreciate the talent, even if it's, it's the same thing with like football with me, you know, I, I can appreciate the talent and the, you know, everything that goes into, you know, what these people have to put out there in the field. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to watch a game just because you know, the next time someone gets hit, it might be the time that they get a brain injury that ends their life at 30. You know, I mean, it's just like I can't get past that, but I can appreciate the other part. So, you know, with M. Night Shyamalan, it's, you know, there's some parts in his movies that I don't appreciate. And, you know, it's the type of thing where I don't typically go and see a lot of his movies, but. I can definitely appreciate, you know, he, he really seemed like he just came out of nowhere with Sixth Sense and just be sort you know, be just sort of started doing stuff and had his own vision for what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it. And you got to ad- admire, you know, that part of it. Yeah. Now, a big part of that also was Bruce Willis. Yes. You know, so like he's, yes, I'm not Shyamalan is coming out of nowhere with this, uh, but Bruce Willis added the star power to it that was enough to get people interested and mm-hmm. and I, i'm assuming uh, to get you know studios interested and and, yeah. and saying okay we, we we can make this movie because we have this guy now attached to it right. um and so now and then you move to unbreakable you've got bruce willis and samuel l jackson who samuel l jackson after this um did star wars nick fury and like yeah he did stars before this 
So, I mean, he's a, well, he was he was big already, but um, now he's part of the biggest movie franchise, superhero franchise of all. And yep. and he was in this um, little unsuperhero unbreakable thing. He's actually part of three different superhero universes. He was uh, the octopus in the spirit as well. Well, you can mention that, but <laughs> I, I'm not going to use that to be like, let's hold him up as this. No, it's not on his resume. Proof but... that he's a giant among franchises. Um, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you, th- did you like Unbreakable? Do you like, like Unbreakable? When it came out, okay, here's the deal. And this is the story that I was referring to before. So when I heard about the movie, I was like, okay, it's a superhero type thing. And I, when I started seeing superhero movies, I was put off by them. You know, obviously Superman came out early enough so that I didn't really have that, that sort of a, uh, a problem with it. But, you know, the Batman movies were just like, is that, it just didn't seem like Batman to me, you know, it just seemed like someone's version of Batman. And then the X-Men came out and it was like, that's not the stories that I read. You know, it starts out with the new team and it's not the old team and they don't have the transition and where's mimic and you know, all this ridiculous stuff (laughs) that I just, I just had that, that nerd sensibility going into it because I wanted to see the movies and I wanted to see the, the movie versions of the comic books that I read. And, you know, my wife, you know, we went to a couple of them and she had to sit me down and say, okay, look, you know, either we're never going to go see another superhero movie again, or you can deal with this. And I'm like, but they just keep messing it up. You know, Wolverine is supposed to be, you know, five foot four and he's six feet tall. And she's like, okay, think about it this way. Think about this is an alternate universe version of those characters. And I was just like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> and it was yep. just one of those one of those times where there's probably a million of them in every marriage, but there's about a billion of them in my marriage because my wife just sort of like flicks the switch. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I got it. <laughs> so um, I heard about this movie and I was like, okay, I want to I want to see it because it had the superhero thing to it. And I sat down and I had an older TV. This was before these new flat screen TVs and stuff. And it was an older TV. And I don't really know why I was watching on this particular TV, but that's where the, the video stuff was set up. So I, and I don't think my wife wanted to watch it. So she was in another room and I was watching it and the color on the monitor on the, on the TV was, was off. But I'm like, how how many times does color really have anything to to do with a movie? You know, so I was like, <laughs> big deal. And, you know, I'm partially colorblind anyway. So sometimes it, I just lose the, that sense anyway. So anyway, and I watched the thing and then it gets to the end of the movie and I'm like, oh, all that stuff was supposed to be like purple stuff, like pointing towards him. And I'm like, I got none of that. Like the, the color purple came out as red or something. It was just like more just a a washed out tone or something. And I sort of lost the sense of it, but in thinking the movie through at least the points and everything like that, I was like, 
obviously he's he's making some broad brush statements but he's he's making them stridently enough that it works within the movie thing you know there's one part where he says uh you know the superheroes uh, heads are usually smaller you know and and the the villains heads are usually bigger you know and, and stuff like that and i'm like well, you know, it, it, that might be the case in some ways, but when you're drawing them, if anyone has, has taken a course on drawing superheroes, there are books and stuff out there, the, the superhero's head is supposed to be bigger than what it would normally be on a body, you know, and, and the body is bigger as well, but the, the head is supposed to be bigger because if it was in, in, in perspective, it would be tiny and it would, it would look weird. So, you know, the, and, and a lot of times the, the foil, because the superhero has the strength, you know, the, the visible strength, the muscles and stuff, a lot of times the foil, like the Joker, is, you know, slight and, and thinner. So, you know, it, and, and as much as the Joker does have exaggerated head features, and, you know, you could, you could look at a lot of, of villains and, and say that there's a lot of villains that don't. So, you know, some points like that, I was just like, eh, some people could see that and I'm not going to argue with it because it's just one of those plot points where, you know, nerds could argue both ways about it. But, you know, I've sort of been, you know, when I look at art and when I look at how to draw things and stuff, I, I just I, I know how it's taught and it's taught a different way than it's it's projected in this. So I and it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm not going to let this ruin the movie for me. Well, but this but, is something that happens both in Unbreakable and Split, where he takes these real world things and then tweaks them for the purposes of the story. Right. And so the, that specific thing you're talking about, about the size of the head and the mm-hmm. eyes, you know. Um, yeah. Well, who's saying it? Well, it's Sam Jackson with his hair as big as right. it can be. You know, like, and so it's in the context of the movie universe, you have him making this statement, but then you also, there's the meta side of it where he's making the statement and, and here is where I, we probably should have said this earlier. We're going to be spoiling this movie. Okay. Yeah, yes. We're yes. spoiling Spoilers. this movie and split. Um, glass will do the typical, uh, spoiler organ if it deserves it. Han Solo uh, dies. And what I mean, when I say what, if it deserves it, I mean, um, if it deserves us talking about spoilers, <laughs> right, um, right. but, uh, it, we're spoiling these two movies that are old. And if you haven't seen them, um, uh, quickly, I would say unbreakable, definitely go see split. Yeah. Mm, uh, it depends. I mean, it depends yeah. on your sensibilities. There's, it's a, it's a horror movie. Um, it's a thriller kind of thing where it's, it's meant for you to feel tense, yeah. And it's meant for you to feel disgusted in, in some ways and in some right. places. Um, and so, you know, it gets into some real world horror as mm-hmm. far as um, things that do happen to people in the real world that should never have happened to people in the real world. Um, right. And it does so in this horror fiction place and way. So anyway, with Unbreakable, the villain of the piece is saying this thing about bad guys have bigger eyes and right. bigger heads. And, and then you've got um, Sam Jackson with his hair just big, <laughs> Fred, you know, Frederick and, Douglass big. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's on purpose. 
you know, that's, that's the kind of detail that M. Night Shyamalan likes to do. Right. And, you know, self-indulgent, self-indulgent rather is, is something that I've heard people say about him. And I don't think it's, it's wrong necessarily. I mean, he goes out to make grand statements and he, um, you know, believes he has something to say. Uh, what he's saying about comic books here, I do think there is some truth to some of what he's saying about um, yeah. the the grand statements of the comics uh, of the superhero being our modern mythology. Mm-hmm. You know, and and what's interesting about that is is now even more so. Like with comic books, when when he was saying it back then, he was saying, "Yes, superheroes are our modern myths, and we have these these characters that we you know hold up and do the stories about them, and we these are stories about good versus evil and all that all that kind of thing." Mm-hmm. When he was saying it then, it was kind of like this: ah, making you know, I, I'm pulling on this this art form that not everyone's into. He, he would if he was making the movie today, right? Um, it's even more so because of the way pop culture has embraced the superhero and the way that um, it's not just, you know, geeks and nerds who are loving these movies. It is right. everybody going to these movies. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why this movie doesn't stand really the test of time because it's it's almost like Star Trek, you know, the original Star Trek where it's like, you know, they have these, you know, okay. Hey, come in, come in. It's almost like a walkie-talkie that they're using in the 23rd century. But what did it lead to? It led to flip phones for us, which led to iPhones. And now we have something that's vastly superior than the technology that they had, you know, in the 23rd century in that thing. So it's it's like that doesn't hold up very well. But it inspired what we have now. And Unbreakable doesn't really hold up that well because – it inspired what came after it enough that it outpaced it, which is, you know, it's sort of a shame, but things like that happen. But in some ways it's, it's, you know, shows you how much influence that that had you know, Star Trek and these movies and things. Um, so, you know, you take it for what it's worth, you know, it, it, it's a good and bad thing. It's, it's one of those odd things in life. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know the people who saw the Unbreakable. It's a it's a classic. It's a cult mm-hmm. classic. It's a beloved cult classic. Um, but it's it's something that people did see and did like. You know, and mm-hmm. I I like the tone. I like the mood. I like the the way it it develops this kind of grounded story about basically a guy who one day realizes, wait a minute, all this time I've been Superman. I didn't <laughs> I didn't realize it. Until this guy sends me this note, you know, and and so he starts testing him himself out, and he's finding out I I am, I am a superhero. I I, I can some do the, this. Some of the points there were a little belabored and a little unbelievable. It's like, do you remember me being sick at all, ever? It's like, uh, were you ever sick? I mean. It, I mean, I can, we get sick all the time, you know? I mean, how many people can you be like, when was the last time I was ever sick? Have I ever been sick? You know, it's usually, this is stuff you talk about with people. You know, it's like, oh, flu is going around the office. It's like, oh, I've never got the flu. Really? You've never got the flu? 
And it's like, you know, well, what else have you known? Did you ever have chicken puck? No. I mean, it's, it's stuff that people just talk about. Yeah, but I could see it being something where you, if it's not a part of you, your rhythm of life, you might not think about it. You know, and and for it is a little, yeah, because he goes and talks to his boss and gets a raise out of it because he's never been yeah. sick and taking a sick day, um, and he asks his his wife, and you know he's 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 trying to remember, and the, he can't remember getting hurt, but that's what's interesting is he doesn't remember ever getting hurt, he doesn't remember ever getting sick, and as he's going through all that, um, and then he has the um, the one teacher that he talks to about his son and she's like, oh, I remember you, you know, and mm-hmm. you're the one guy who were, you were in the pool for five minutes underwater and right. almost died. They, they still, they still tell that story and we let them to scare yeah. them away from. So they, they're careful around the pool, you know? And, yeah. Um, but I, yeah. And this is, again, this is something you, you either accept it or you don't. And it's the same with like signs where the whole climax of signs, um, you could easily turn against that entire movie at yeah. at the end of the, the movie. The same with Sixth Sense, except that one, at least the whole movie is kind of fantastical. And so when you get to the end and you get the twist ending there, you're, you're kind of willing to accept it. Um, yeah. The whole movie is gauzy, you yeah, know, it's sort yeah. of like you're walking through this thing. And then when you're like, Oh, well that's why. <laughs> but then with, with unbreakable though, it's the same kind of tone. And he's just kind of slowly moving from place to place, figuring things out. And then um, and then when he does become a superhero and he, he has his rain slicker or whatever you call that thing that he's wearing, <laughs> and that's his co- superhero costume. He's got his cape now. Um, right. And the battle between him and the bad guy is – it is rough. It is brutal. It is not choreographed. You know, this no, is, it's, it's, it's just him getting slammed around, yeah. um, against walls as he's on, on this guy's back, choking him. Yeah. Choking him to submission. Yeah. And so he, it's it, honestly, it's the princess bride battle between, <laughs> between right. Wesley and Andre the giant, you know, where yeah. he just holds on until, until he knocks the guy out. Um, but the interesting thing about that is split, the character from split was meant to be that guy. Right. And, and of course I, I didn't realize that until just in the last couple of days when I was reading um, this interview with him, but um, that was, that was the intention was he was going to find this super villain and, and have to deal with that. And, right. and now you know, then years later we got the movie Um and the whole the whole pitch for Unbreakable included that, and then it included the resolution with Mr. Glass, you know. But of course, in the movie, we get the little, you know, s- s- stuff at the end of the you know, couple of lines of text at the end of the movie that tells us what happened. I forgot all about that, so I'm rewatching it recently, yeah. and I'm I'm like, I don't remember the ending. I don't remember the final conflict between him and Glass. What was it? Yeah. I, I don't remember it. I remembered most of the plot points. I did. I was very pleased to find that rewatching it this time, I still enjoyed it. I still liked it. And I was um, under its spell, so to speak, where <laughs> I'm willing to take this pacing because I like the, the way it's peeling things away mm-hmm. and, and revealing things. Then you get to the end and it's like, er, just the brakes. We stop and then Glass was arrested 
and is still in the you know place for the criminalian stain and right. and david dunn is you know still doing his thing it's just like wait what? yeah wait wait don't give me an you ending know, wait you know what it reminds me of is um back in the the early nineties, I believe it was maybe late eighties. And there was very little star Wars new stuff coming out. And then dark horse got the license to do some new star Wars comic books. And, uh, the first one was called dark empire and really pretty good. If you're a star Wars fan, I'd, I'd suggest you go and get it six issues. And it, it like, it was like, it was like a new hope. You know, if you just read it, you that would be that would be great. But it did have the setup stuff in the in the the story where it it did so well. They said, let's do a second one, Dark Empire 2. And Dark Empire 2 came out and they really set stuff up for Dark Empire 3, which is called Empire's End. But it didn't sell well. So they were like, you know what? You had six issues for the first one. You have six issues for the second one. You can do the third story. You have two issues. <laughs> and so there's like 16 or 18 actual pages of comic book material. And then there may be like four or five or six or something text pages where because he had so much stuff, so much story to tell, instead of trying to jam it into two issues, he said, no, I'm going to do the six issues. I'm just going to jam it into two issues. <laughs> and there's so many text pages that it's sort of just like, it's chunky, you know, and you're just like, instead of the story playing out, you're getting, and this is what happened. And then, you know, that's, that's sort of what the ending of unbreakable reminded me of, you know, it's just sort of like text pages at the end of it. Well, and, and, and the thing is, so all that stuff that they just put in two lines on two slides, you know, um, right. that tells you everything you need. If they had filmed it, we would be talking another six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes of material showing right. all these things happening. Yeah. Um, and instead, they just go with uh, – I mean we are literally – our climax is just he re, he realizes. He touches Glass. Yeah, I, I love the way he, Glass does it. And this is where we shake hands. Right. And he touches and part of his power is he's able to see things that this person has done. Mm-hmm. And, and so you get the reveal that glass caused all these accidents. And it, yeah. this is where I almost turn against the movie because it's so ridiculous. Glass, <laughs> glass is looking for someone in the world who is his opposite. Right. Glass is so fragile. So there's someone has to be the opposite of that. And, and so to find this person somewhere in the world, he causes three bad accidents. Around few, Philadelphia. Around Philadelphia with a few hundred, you know, <laughs> casualties in each one. But and then he's waiting to see, okay, is there any sole survivor? You know, and right. that's a bit silly. Yes. yes but the idea but it's, it's comic booky. Well, yeah, yeah. And and the idea thematically, and this is where this is how he works best. M. Night Shyamalan works best with uh ideas and visuals. And so the idea of the opposite, which is very comic-y, you know, mm-hmm. Lex Luthor and Superman are opposites. You have sorrow <laughs> well, or, or that, yeah, uh, Batman and Joker. I mean, all of these, you, the hero has the reflection of himself in his villain. 
Right. And and that's with with has what glass has with with Bruce Willis, yeah. is that reflective um, image of each other, where one is fragile and broken, and the other is this man who can't be broken except emotionally. And that's the other interesting thing for me is that this story builds up these two conflicts. One is him versus glass that we don't really know, even know until the end that that's a thing. The other is him versus his wife. And are they going to be able to resolve and get back together? And, um, the movie opens with him taking off his ring and flirting with someone. Yeah. Uh, and I, I forgot all about that. The whole thing with his relationship with his wife was not in my memory at all. When I'm rewatching mm -hmm. this and, and then you rewatch it and you, wow, this is really interesting. You have this very uh, awkward, real struggle between the two of them where they're trying to decide, do we go along with this? Do we try and fix things up again? Do we try and, you know, start over? And you get this kind of realistic start over where it's not just, oh, now we're in love again, you know, but, you know, we see them on their quote unquote first date. And yeah. it's, uh, uh yeah. And so it's a strong, strongly, it's a well-told story. Um, it's just the story it's telling sometimes gets a little goofy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's, it's not perfect. And, and I mean, who can find a perfect movie where like everything makes logical sense and everything, you know, it, it just, all the beats and, you know, it, it's hard to find that. So, so, trying to to say that this is anything close is ridiculous because nothing is close um but uh but for what it is supposed to do it does it except for the ending it's like of all that you have the villain he's revealed himself to the hero and where's the epic battle there is no battle there's nothing. I mean, literally, Bruce Willis literally is going to leave nothing. the room, call the police, yeah, and show them the evidence. But it's not and about the epic battle. <laughs> that's just it. Yeah, yeah, and and it never was supposed to be, you yeah. know. And and that's the other thing that you know, say what you will about M Night Shyamalan, he has a vision and he follows through most right. of the time, most yeah. of the time, and and with this he. This movie is about Bruce Willis realizing who he is, Bruce Willis realizing who his wife is, and Bruce Willis finding out about Glass and, and realizing who Glass is. Right. And so Glass is helping him with, you know, finding out who he is and finding out, you know, through that, then finding out about who his wife is and, and right. patching up that relationship. And so it is this back and forth between the two of them, but it is not meant to be, you know, Superman versus Zod. <laughs> in in either Metropolis or, you know, we can go to Superman 2, sure, in the Fortress of Solitude. You know, right. he's not going to pull out a cellophane S and throw it. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Right. And that's what those movies are about. You know, it's, yeah. it's the actual physical confrontation of good versus evil. This here is the, you know, it's like that they're both existing in the gray area until something happens. And of course, you don't know that Mr. Glass is, is the evil one. You think he's trying to help him out, trying to peel back the layers to try to get him into the, the good zone, which he is. 
But at the same time, he's the evil one, which is kind right. of weird because if, if someone was that conflicted with, you know, David Dunn and, you know, he has tendencies to, to do things that aren't right, you know, with the taking the ring off and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it makes it's it's like it. The mind of Mr. Glass is so warped that instead of saying, hey, I'm going to find a super powered person to help me, uh, you know, complete my plans for world domination or whatever. I'm going to try to find my you know, the person who who's so strong, so so much stronger than I am weak that you know it's it's like he he almost wants to be defeated he wants to be caught no he you know? he absolutely does he wants yeah. he wants to find his comic book opposite because he knows now we don't at the beginning but he knows and we find out later he's the villain and mm-hmm. so he mentors the hero so that the hero can be the hero and he can be the villain <laughs> and and he's doing these villainous things to find the hero. And that's that's what's really interesting is he is not doing these bad things for money. He's not doing these bad things for world domination. He is doing these bad things to find to find the person who will allow Glass to be the villain that he knows he can be. Right. And it's it, it's 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 a good motivation because it's different i don't know if it's good (laughs) for any other reason but it's a good motivation because it is very different compared to any other supervillain that you might have um and the other thing is his superpower is that he doesn't have a superpower i mean it's it's a weakness his his superpower quote unquote that makes him different from the rest of humanity is that he is uh he's he's breakable it's evil. Yeah. <laughs> so he's glass. And um yeah, so that's that's unbreakable. Let's talk about split a little bit. Uh you just saw it recently for the first time, correct? Yes. Yeah. And I saw it in theaters, um and and then saw it uh again recently on on home media. But um yeah, split was one of those that and ten Cloverfield Lane were just kind of these out of nowhere, small budget horror movies yeah. um, that were similar were, feel too. Yeah. Yeah. That were coming out and, and just kind of surprising people by being so low budget, but then bringing in lots of money. Right. And, and, and there's been some more since then. And, and Blumhouse, um, they specialize in that where they specialize in the low budget horror um and it'll make its money back almost always because it's so low budget. But then if there's a hit, it's it's a huge hit. And it, it makes a lot of money because you're not talking about, oh, this movie was a huge hit and made $200 million in one weekend, but it cost $150 million to make. You know, <laughs> right. We're talking about this took uh, – split was $10 million, I think. Mm-hmm. I think its budget was $10 million. Yeah. And – you know, it, it easily made a lot more than that. Um, but yeah, what were your, what's your initial thoughts on split then? Going through it or at the end of it? Like what, what's my initial thought on the entire thing? Yeah. What's your, what's your initial thought? You've seen it and and what's your initial thought? That's. 
I thought that overall the way that it was presented was um, problematic. And some of the scenes, some of the stuff was, it just seemed like he put it in there. I mean, oh, one of the girls, you know, spills something on her her shirt, so she has to take her shirt off. So she's, you know, for the rest of the movie, which, you know, only a couple of scenes, you know, but you know, she has her bra and she's just, you know, walk. and another one, oh, she spilled something on her pants. So she has, so she's, you know, just has her underwear. And it's not like they linger so much on it or they show so many scenes with it, but it's still like, okay, we get it. People can be sexually depraved and you don't always have to show it. And especially with someone with split personality, which is a mental disorder, you know, it's like, so I, I felt like you didn't really want to feel bad for this guy because he has a, an actual real world mental disorder and he's being treated for it by someone who, you know, thinks some, you know, something more of him or whatever. But at the same time, you're like, can we not make villains people who are, you know, they have an actual something wrong with them? You know, it's like you felt you felt bad for him, but you saw him doing so many bad things that now you sort of want to not feel bad for him. Yeah. And, and this is what too, I was saying. There. Yeah, this is what I was saying about how in Unbreakable, he takes these real world comic book concepts and kind of builds on them, but picks and chooses and molds, you know, like you were saying, the art theory. He kind of takes the art right. theory and turns it into his own thing that it's not real art theory, but it does fit the movie, you know? Yes. And yes. and the same thing here with dissociative identity disorder. I wish that they had made up something, that they had not taken this very real thing. Right. Um, it used to be known as, um, you know, multiple personality disorder, and, and it's um, – but it's this very real thing. And clearly, clearly – this movie is not – it's not a medical diagnosis. You're not going to use this movie to say, oh, I know someone who has this because this movie is showing you something that is completely fabricated. It's mm -hmm. science fiction. Right. You know, where you have – it's not just dissociative identity disorder. It's a physical thing too. You know, and so one of his personalities has diabetes. Right. Has to take insulin shots. And yeah. that's, you know, so his body chemistry changes from personality to personality. Right. And, and then this is being held up as, well, this is, you know, what if this is the next step in humanity, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And, um, and, you know, being able to choose who you are, look how you look, um, create new muscle and stronger muscle where it wasn't there before. Uh, now it doesn't happen when he turns into a woman, you know, his body doesn't transform right. into a female, but his body does transform into a diabetic and his body yeah. does transform into the beast. And, right. And so if he would adjust, you know, it's, it's like, it's like the Grinch, you know, if they mm -hmm. had just called it how the grump stole Christmas, <laughs> exactly, we would have been more happy with it. And with this movie, yeah. if they had just called it, um, dissociative identity disorder 
uh, plus or something, you know, where it's, it's like, <laughs> this is something related to that real thing, but it's not that real thing. And you know, you have this doctor who's like, I've discovered this new version, this new variation on this thing, you know, and so we have all this research over here that you've been doing, but I'm doing research over here and, and you know, it's, um, it's fringe science, you know, or right. something like that, uh, but they didn't, you know, or and, if they had said, they, they could have said at the end of the movie, you find out that he was faking all of them, you know, or or something. Although that would have taken away a little bit from it because I did like that, you know, his body transformed at the end, you know, and, and I also like that one of the personalities pretended to be another one of them. (laughs) Um, Right. Yeah. But the thing is he didn't transform every single time. No, he didn't. So it's, it, it sort of breaks the logic of the movie because he doesn't turn into a woman but he turns into a beast, you know, and he doesn't turn into a child, you know, and he doesn't, I mean, it's, it's, it would have been better if he would, he would have transformed into all of them, but that would have given it away. Or, so they couldn't do that. or take away that whole thing where he became diabetic yeah, or something, you know, or, you know, so that, okay. So the beast is something different and that's why he transforms, you know, right. um, but then they're also talking about, you know, this woman with with dissociative identity disorder who her blindness was healed in three of her personalities. And right. now that they talk about it being a physical change that could be, you know, a a psychological blindness. Mm-hmm. Like you, there are people who will, you know, have something go wrong with their body and there is no physical reason for that to happen. You know, there's no physical reason for that person to be mute or to be blind. Um, and, and some people think it might be a, the brain's coping by, um, you know, just creating, you know, this muteness because you don't want to talk because of something so horrible that happened. And if you can talk, you have to talk about it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it, yeah, so it just, that, that puts a damper on the movie for me is is the the real world disorders they're talking about and then the other thing that happens and this is a hard it's a hard line how do you you know when is it okay and when is it not okay but two of the characters in this movie were abused right and and so for one it was kevin who was abused and who became this 24 personality um split personality and then you have the other one being, I think her name's Cassie, um, but it's the main female lead. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, sexually abused as a child. And right. then her father died and she gets put into the house of the man who did this to her. Yeah. And so the, you know, it's been happening, you know, on yeah. and on. Yeah. And, and there's little breadcrumbs of thoughts and ideas that happen where you're like, oh my goodness. Um, like when... Uh, one of the personalities takes one of the girls out and, and Cassie tells her pee on yourself because, and and that's something that um, is a coping thing so that people will not want to sexually abuse you. Right. And, and it's, it's an unfortunate reality, but that's what, what some people do have to do because they're in a situation where that's, that's their, that's their defense and it works. Mm -hmm. Um, well, why would she know that? Because it's happened to her, you know? Right. And um, 
And so I, you take this very serious real world thing um, and then turn it into the super villain origin story. Yeah. And, and that's where it gets, it's a little troubling there too. Yes. And another thing that I thought was strange was the beginning of the movie where you're meeting the three girls and their dad, um, you know, is about to drive them all home and, um, they get into the car and then something happens to the dad outside the car. And then Kevin or whatever his name is at the well, that's, time, that's his real name. This, yes. One before, of the personalities yeah. jumps into the car, puts on a mask and, and sprays the two girls in the back seat with, you know, whatever, and, and knocks them out and takes his mask off and puts the stuff where he's about to drive off. And the other girl who's in the front seat of the car where he would have had, when he was turning, he would have had to, his eyes would have passed by her unless he was blinking. And he did that two times because now he's sitting, you know, frontwards again. And she tries to open the door, of course, and it starts to ding, 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 ding as soon as she you know, does it. And then instead of jumping out, she sits there and, and gets the, the stuff again. But it's like, I immediately thought to myself, this girl is has some sort of invisibility like uh oh. you know like like invisible boy in um in uh mystery men you know where like when no one is looking he's invisible <laughs> yeah or something like that because obviously he didn't see her and i, I was like it, it can't just be a, a a comment on this girl is so much of an outsider in the group that she wouldn't be noticed in a car sitting next to someone. Obviously it can't be that. So the entire movie, I'm sort of waiting for that element to play <laughs> itself out. And I'm like, why doesn't she just like not talk and just fade into whatever it is that she does to become invisible? Why doesn't she do that? Well, and she never does. Of course, because I don't know the, if I'm going to be able to save the scene for you the way you save the weightlifting scene for me. Okay. Okay. But I'm waiting. <laughs> the two girls in the back seat were the girls that he had been following for weeks. Mm -hmm. They were his target. Mm -hmm. And so that might be why he didn't spray the other girl in the first place. Uh, the Cassie is because those were his target and he was focused on them. Um, I don't know why he didn't do something to her because he's he did it to the father. Yeah, uh, I thought that he knocked the father out or possibly killed the father. But then later on in the news report, you see that the father was sprayed and drugged. Um, so he's those two girls are what he needed. Um, but so how could you if you're doing something that meticulous, how could you miss something like that? Or, I mean, if he's watching them go to the car. He's like, wait a minute, there's three girls instead of two. I probably shouldn't do this right now. You know, it's like that the whole scene, it's just like it, it spins the movie in in two different ways and neither of them make sense. And yet it's intentional. I mean, it's oh, very, it's very intentional. It's very intentional and deliberate yeah. that he the sequence happens in that direction. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer there other than this time I watched it and I realized, oh, they actually say 
um, it was those two girls that he was after. Not he he didn't Cassie was extra, and and instead of disposing of her, he brought her along. Right. Um, so I, I I don't know. Sloppy. That's what I gotta say. I don't know if I could call it sloppy. I mean, <laughs> I could. No, I, I mean, the reason, I mean, we can call it sloppy because we don't understand, but I don't know if it's sloppy because I think there's a reason for it. I just don't know what it is. I think the reason is that she is so supposed to be so forgettable that it she's just overlooked, you know, sort of like when they were saying, you know, oh, well, we, we had to invite the entire class. Obviously, we had to invite her, but I'm like... But she's not unforgettable or she's not forgettable. They know about her. They talk about her. You know, they, they know details about her. Um, they, they are being nice to her Mm -hmm. there. It's some of it's begrudging, but they are being nice to her because, um, you know, I'm not a horrible human being at first, but then later on, they're like, you, you got to be with us. You know, we, we got to all get out of here together. And, um, you know, you get the impression that these, at first I thought these two girls were going to be bullies. They are not. They're not bullies. Mm-hmm. They're actually genuinely um, semi-nice teenagers. You know, who they're a little narcissistic, but you yeah, know, they're but not they're in mean. A, in a teenager way, though, you know, yeah. in, in a realistic, um, not over the top, uh, teenage high school bully way. Right. So, right. Um, yeah. So I. So all those things then aside, I did like the movie. I mean. If I'm giving it a thumbs up or thumbs down, it's getting a thumbs up from me. Um, it's just not a real enthusiastic one. Yeah, mine would be a, a thumb trending downward, I think, just because there's so many little problematic things. And, you know, not just quibbly things either, you know, like the the, the size of the head on, who's, you know, heroes and villains or something like that, which is just debatable. But it's just like. Too many things, and just like seemingly one after the other, too. Well, I can understand that, and th- that's why you know earlier I was saying I I, I don't recommend this for everyone. You know, like there's right. there's stuff in this. It's just like oh, I, I I can't recommend this. You know, um, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, you know, there's there's skill in the the artistry that's behind this, but then also um, I'm watching it and I'm thinking uh, there's plot holes but there's also tension you know and i'm feeling the tension and and when it all comes down to the end um it's another one where just kind of poof oh (laughs) we're done and it doesn't have that that solution to it that you're looking for no there is not a real resolution um i mean the character resolution the character arc for cassie is that she is finally i think and I think this is what they're intending with her is that she finally stands up against an abuser, you know, where she couldn't shoot her uncle, um, but she was able to shoot the beast. Right. And I think it's more her movie than it is, you know, for, for the split character. Absolutely. Yeah. And and she's going to be in, in glass. Yeah. So, yeah. well, and so is, uh, uh, so is the son from Unbreakable. They're, they're that's kind of cool that they got the same same, same actor. actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's another thing I found interesting. Both these movies have children pulling guns on adults. Uh, I didn't like that. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> especially it's just, in the first one, Unbreakable. Oh, that was did rough. Did not like that. <laughs> that was bad. Um, and, and this one, yeah, she uh, pulls the gun on her abuser. Um, and then it, it ends. Yeah, it, it ends though where she's escaped the beast, and the beast has let her live because she also has been a victim, and and he. You know, it stops just short of you're just like me. Um, we're we're the same. You know, maybe even said that I don't remember now. But um, with the ending, she's sitting in the police car, and the police officer comes and says, "Your uncle's here to pick you up." And it's just, and that's where it ends. It's just, what's she gonna do? What? Yeah, and I I don't like that ending. Um. I feel like that's probably the most uh, genuine handling of, of abuse that this movie does though, is where you do have this cycle of abuse and the situation where the abused person does not feel there's a way out, even though there is, I mean, she leaves her house to go to school every day and then she'll get in detention. So she doesn't have to go home, you know, and, and there's just different things like that where, okay. Um, I can see what you're doing here, but I, I just hate it when things like that are used in such a poppy, pulpy way. It just feels like we're diving into this deep end of cycles of abuse and, and we're using it to come to a climax where the monster decides not to kill her. So do I recommend it? Yes. But to everyone? No. I would recommend it to very few people. You know, it's one of those movies that if someone, you know, was like, well, I already have tickets to glass and I already saw Unbreakable, I'd be like, well, you should probably see this before you see glass. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, it's like, you know, I mean, there's so, like I said, just so many little problematic things. You know, having a, a, a mentally disturbed person who's the villain, you know, I mean, it, it, it's like Mr. Glass is mentally disturbed too, but it's not like you see him you know, dealing with his, his, you know, counselor and, and psychiatrists and things like that. He, he's mentally disturbed, but you don't get that until the end where he's put into a psychiatric hospital and now he's getting the care that he needs. This guy is supposed to be getting the care that he needs, but it's like, you know, it's, you want to feel bad for him because it's like, well, he's slipping through the system, you know, and, and this person thinks he's something special and, is he? But at the same time, he's still got this thing wrong with him and, you know, all this other stuff. It's just like, ah. But see, that's one of that's one of the redeeming qualities for me is his um, uh, his doctor, the person he's meeting with genuinely cares and is genuinely trying to take care of him. Right. And and I really I like that character. She's um, a great character. Yeah. And and that was a redeeming quality here was having that character who is trying to help him with kindness, yep. you know, and, and is trying to lead him through this and is trying to help. And even when these, quote unquote, bad personalities are coming out and she's talking to them, she's being respectful and she's being careful and mm-hmm. she is trying to understand and she's trying to draw out and talk. I, I like that. Um, I also like I mean, this is the other probably big redeeming quality but it's done in such a pulpy way that it's not a great redeeming quality for me but i i do like that this is about someone um learning to stand up 
against their abuser, you know, with, with, uh, with Cassie. Yeah. And, and so your hope is, you know, we get to that ending and it's very ambiguous. And the hope is as that officer is saying, your uncle is here. The hope is she's gone through all this and now she's found the strength where she can, you know, tell the officer about her uncle or, you know, not go home with her uncle or, right. you know, turn him in if, you know, or, and that she's, the hope is she's going to start getting the help that she needs now, you know, because mm-hmm. it's never, you know, when, when's the best time for her to have done that? Obviously lots earlier, but it's not, <laughs> it's not too late to, to get the help that you need, you know? Right. And so if you are in a situation like that, where you are being abused or being hurt, um, you may say to yourself, well, I can't say anything now because it's been so long. No, that's not true. That's not true. You know, find help now. Call the hotlines now. Talk right. to someone now. You know, there are people who want to help you now, and they will do everything they can for you now. And it's it's not too late. You might feel like it is because – it's been so long and no one's going to believe you, but that's not the way it is. And so finally, maybe this is for the character, that opportunity for her to, to turn against him. Right. Um, but you don't know. I mean, the ending's ambiguous. And, and so I'm wondering, is that going to be one of the answers that we get in the, in the next movie? But we'll, that would be good. We'll It'd find be out. Nice to be nice to have a lot of uh, answers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, probably won't. So the question is: Will Glass be the movie that completes this trifecta of three in a row for M Night Shyamalan that people actually go to and and don't trash talk afterward? Yeah. So we'll I have see. A ten- I have a tendency to think that it is not going to satisfy the. You know, some of the the people who uh, uh, it's obviously not going to satisfy superhero fans, you know, Avengers fans and stuff like that, because it's either not going to have the big fight scene at the end or it's as far as I know from M. Night Shyamalan, it's going to be, you know, like the awkward, unbreakable, you know, (laughs) type of thing. So I don't I don't see a lot of a lot of hope that way. Um and then, you know, for people who want an M. Night Shyamalan movie, I think it's going to be a little bit too superhero-y for them. You know, sort of like, you know, it's like uh, the people who like the Joker and the, the Batman trilogy. You know, it's I think they're they're going to be like, uh, there's just going to, I think there's just going to be too much of, of a, a gray area. Like, not even, I mean, not not a lot of gray area that he has to hit because it, it can't be too black and it can't be too white. And I think he's, he's going to miss it. So, yeah, I, I'm curious because this is a chance for him to, you know, do doing this movie where it is an obvious sequel, you know, with the other one, it right. was a secret sequel. And right. you had the, the tag scene at the end where Bruce Willis, you know, they're like, Hey, that reminds me, this doesn't make any sense by the way. Yeah. You know, where, <laughs> Remember that thing oh, that happened 15 years ago? There was a, a guy 15 years ago who did bad stuff, and this split personality guy totally reminds – no, 
It doesn't remind you of him. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> but what was his name? Glass. You know, and both yeah. both movies end with the last word being glass. And I that's also a little bit interesting. But this is his opportunity to to make this, you know, this trilogy and build the world a little bit. Um, maybe explain where David Dunn got his powers. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. We don't need that explanation, though. That's not the way Mike Shyamalan needs to do things. He, he doesn't always explain everything. Um, but I'm curious because they are talking about uh, in the movie how Kevin's father left on a train, and that's the last time he saw him. And then when he goes – just before he turns into the beast, he goes and buys flowers – and this is kind of odd. You know, he goes by his flowers and sits them on the side of a subway terminal and then gets on a train. And that's where he turns into the beast, right? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, was his father on David Dunn's train? Well, in some of the stuff that I've, I've, I've seen talking about this trilogy, they call it the – I forget the number. But the – and they, they refer to the, the train designation. You know, the name of the train and the number of the train as that trilogy. Like, I forget what it is. I should probably look it up, but I don't have it. (laughs) It just seems it's, again, an obvious choice where he chose to show those things. Um, Is that, you know, is that a connection between them? And if that's the case, then that means Glass created uh, the Beast. Unintentionally, could be, yeah. It was unintentional, yeah. But and the other thing I I did see is um, there is some speculation that uh, David in the the train terminal uh, when he's touching people mm-hmm. touches a woman who hit a kid, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm hearing people say um, that that's actually Kevin and his mom that they were uh, there. So. Okay. I'd be more than happy to go with one or the other. I just hope it's not both because then (laughs) it just so happens that he was on the train with the dad when the dad died. And then he when he decides to be a superhero um, is in the whatever the terminal um, with with the mom and the son. And that's right. I don't like that kind of thing. Well, I mean, it would be comic booky where, you know, (laughs) well, it's that. I bristle against too much coincidence. Yes. You know, yeah. give me a little bit of coincidence and, and that's how your story is starting. Mm-hmm. I, I'll run with that with you. But if you're going to hinge your climax on more co- coincidence, I, I'm not happy with that. Yeah. Well, that's that. I think it's time for us to um, stop recording and we'll be seeing glass pretty soon. Okay. Any final words, Steve? My final word and this is thinking about um, uh, Unbreakable. Um, I was thinking um, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to break down and a time to build up. And that's glass and that's David right there. There you go. See? So this biblical epic (laughs) right who knew (laughs) who knew i can't remember who it was but somebody on facebook and if you message us again 
Um, if you hear this episode, mention this again. I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember to mention you on the glass episode. But they mentioned that um, the marriage subplot in Unbreakable was what uh, 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 Fireproof should have been. The movie Fireproof. <laughs> nice. Um, I enjoyed Fireproof a lot. I I had some troubles with you, it. But, I know you had a trouble. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you so much for everyone for listening and thank you for spending this time with us. And we will be back to talk about other stuff and glasses at the top of the list right now. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hope it's good. Oh, I hope it's good because I realize if it's not, we're, we're, we're devoting two episodes of our podcast to this trilogy. And then what if the third one in the trilogy is a real stinker? But at least we have Unbreakable. That's good. So Yes. yes Thank you are. so much for listening, everyone. And we will talk with you later. And I just want to wish you Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast hosted by Ben Avery. Evan David, Steve McDonald, and Dr. Jay Samuel. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com, where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter, where we are at Strange and Alien, or liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangersandaliens. Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is 1-804-37-ALIEN. And once again, thanks for listening. You know, oh, hey, come in, come in.